Hello listeners, I'm your host James Tachi. Welcome to You Are Not Alone, a show that explores the fact that despite one's genetics, country of origin, socioeconomic background, culture, tradition, and all the many labels we tend to use to describe our condition and conditioning, we have more that brings us together than separates us. The stories shared here are expressions of this experience, the hope that it inspires you, motivates, and helps you feel more connected to people near and far. Today we hear a personal story from Jen. As an office manager of a non-profit mental health agency, she's able to see both sides of the spectrum of people seeking help and those helping. However, her view and understanding of mental illness and mental health grew through uncovering her own son's struggle with depression. Jen goes on to talk about the barriers and challenges in the way of access to mental health services, as well as how mental illness has impacted her family as a whole. This is her story. So when we're talking about the stigma in mental illness or overcoming it, it seems first I have to stop and think whether or not I had any beliefs that weren't aligned with recovery or acceptance. Um, And I discovered, of course, I did because mental illness struck my family and it impacted my husband, my ex-husband and my son. And I've seen it damage relationships, seen it affect family structure, of course. It's one of those things you don't know that you you do have stigmas, you, you, you have judgments until you get there. And when you get there and it's someone you love that's mentally ill, and you believe people should get up every day and they should work hard and they should accomplish what they can and that's how you're raised and suddenly someone you love and you raised is not doing any of what you have on your agenda for them to do in order to be successful, you have a conflict with your beliefs and judgments. And so you have to love someone enough to question your beliefs and to say, what's really going on? And to say, what's, what's, why would my child who I thought I had given this to, why is he not progressing? And is it about me or is it really about him? And when you come out of yourself and say, this isn't my road, this is his, there's some barriers in his path. What, what's causing him? And what, what do I need to know about him? And then, then you can start to, really maybe make an impact and say, okay, let's take a look at it without even saying there's good, there's bad, there's, (laughs) there just is. (laughs) There is a difference between him and I. And, but the differences are not, it's not like your personalities are different. It's a difference that's impacting the quality of his life, his relationships at school, his, his ability to drive, his ability to work, um, or to feel empowered to do any of those normal things that if you can call anything normal that a teenage person aspires to do, to be independent from their parents. Gosh, when we finally got to the Institute of Living and we got a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress, and then it wasn't just a diagnosis, but this is how it manifests itself, was such a light bulb to me, and I could then understand why 
he would make progress and then suddenly take it away and then make more progress and possibly take it away. And there was a, there was an element of what were those events that made him cycle that way? What, what, what made him feel helpless? What threw him back in time, so to speak, to that vulnerable child that he was when he was being abused? And if I look at the average mental health consumer and I look at my son's life, I know I've been there all this time advocating for him. And other people don't have that. So many. They just don't have it. So when you start to talk about outcomes varying and what environment plays a role, I mean, it's it's treatment. It's the respect and dignity of a person in the treatment setting, but it's also what supports are in the home, what supports are in the family, what is even an awareness level in the family that this is not a bad kid, this is a broken child, this is someone that needs treatment. And, you know, I was educated enough to know that and to seek it out and advocate for him. He could not have advocated for himself. And a lot of broken children are coming from broken parents. So then you start to say, what is their outcome? The therapist is treating the child, but they're at the same time looking at the parent saying, what what does that parent need? What's broken in that parent's inner person that needs treatment in order for this whole family unit to heal? Coming back to stigma, I'm educated. I love my children. I look at them as people with strengths and weaknesses, and I'm able to do that lovingly. But I still said, why doesn't he shower? Or why doesn't he, why is his room a mess? Or why is he so disorganized? Why doesn't he get up in the morning? Um, and I, I had frustrating moments and angry moments. And then his sisters said, why does he have to have these things happen at school? When, why is the ambulance coming to our school or in high school? We don't know how to cope with that, but we just really don't like it. Can't you just decompress at home or <laughs> have something happen outside of the public eye? So with your own family, even siblings that love their brother, they don't really want to be impacted negatively. Let his mental health journey be his, but it's not. It's ours. <laughs> and then trying to create a loving home for someone who's struggling with mental illness. Gosh, if you can't even get loving support within your home, think about what the world does to you. My son started cutting in high school and um, probably late middle school into high school. And of course, that again was something totally foreign to me and got me frustrated and mad. <laughs> You're hurting yourself. What is that about? And then I started to think, this is just negative attention getting because I was a throwback to preschool. <laughs> my child is doing this. He knows he's going to get my attention and Maybe if I don't give it to him, he won't do it. But I was way off the mark. I just really did not understand what it was about. And now I do. But of course, there again, here I am as mother, stigmatizing his behavior. It was mental illness. But to me, it was just negative attention getting at the time. And I feel terribly sad that that was something. I, but, but who really comes into it fully understanding? You're not clinically trained, things like that. I mean, I didn't have an average family. My kids father was mentally ill and he was abusive and gone. So they didn't have that. But imagine the white picket fence family, the nuclear family that has three children and everyone's doing well except for one. And then how it can tip the cart of this perfect family. 
and they don't really want the neighbors to know and they don't want anyone to know. So they're worried about their household being stigmatized. I can see how that would happen. I mean, I was already an outlier. <laughs> so it wasn't as challenging to me. But I did have to, you know, honestly, as a single parent, you meet your partner, someone you're going to marry, and you start dating again, and you have a child with mental illness. That's part of that. And you have to say, this is my journey, this is my son, and this is this is the life we live. And it might mean, oh, I was going to go somewhere this weekend, but he's being hospitalized. It might mean I have to go to work, but he's being discharged at 11 o'clock. And I can't go to work now because I have to go to Manchester Hospital to get my son out of the hospital. And then I have to think about where is he going, what's his next level of care, all of those things that... You know, you don't think about if you don't have mental illness in your family. Oh, thank goodness we had Husky because he had transportation. But, I mean, when you think about, it's not even just stigma, it's barriers, too. Like, how how does a single parent make that happen if they don't have Husky, if they don't have transportation, if they can't get their child to that level of care they're recommended for? They may not. They may refuse the care the child cycles back. I still pick him up from work at 22 years old. He's still not driving, but he's got his permit. And he still comes out of work more upset than the average person would about stress. And that's just a byproduct of who he is and how stress impacts him. And there's other areas in him that are so far and beyond developed from, from his peers because of years of counseling. He's had some very long relationships with therapists that have really grown to know him and watch him grow as a state, as a nation. Do we do enough? Is it easy enough to gain access to it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Every time you read the paper and someone is being arrested for something, I don't look at it the same way anymore. I know there's probably mental illness. I know that my stigma of corrections system um, growing up has been tipped over because I now look at everything differently. I'm always asking why instead of judging. And the media will tell us, but what we don't know is what leads us to judge. You know, we could all sit and cry over the stigmas because they're so horrible. And when I think about them, it's crushing. But it really doesn't do any good to do that. It just really is most important to just one person at a time impact the person or the people in your life that come your way that struggle with it and give them respect and give them a voice and give them the power to feel they absolutely deserve quality care. They absolutely deserve to stand up and fight Congress or whoever else they need to, to get the support and services they deserve. And as a child of, of any parent, you just hope that the parents are really in touch with their kids enough to say something doesn't feel right, something doesn't look right, and what's available and to advocate for it. In my role at work, we get to come into contact with people who struggle with stigma every day of their life, and we get to have impact. Even administratively, we have impact because we stand for something. And that's a great thing. I mean, being there for my kids, being there in my role at work, and 
trying my best to ask questions why um, before judging is, I think, the best thing I can do. And then thinking about who's in office and what are they prepared to do. Because mental health isn't something that should be popular one day because of a school shooting and fall off of our radar the next two years or five years, ten years down the road because it's too far from our memory. It should be every day the reality is still with us. The addiction crisis that we have, the children dying, those are real, they're now. They're not shootings, they're deaths. And they're, you know, they're now. And they're families, and they're children of families. You can't underestimate the size of mental health. I think as a society, when they're pulling funding, I say, how important is it? It's important because you only have to open the newspaper. It can be on page one or it can be on page five. It's in the paper, and if you take your average daily newspaper, it's all over the paper. It's in the sports page. It's in the crime blotter. It's on the front page. It's mental illness. It's mental wellness. It's it's all over. So coping with mental illness, I finally came to a place where I knew that it wasn't about me. It really wasn't about me. And the stress of feeling like I could fix it was the biggest piece that I had to come to realizing that I I couldn't fix it and it wasn't mine to fix. It was actually a journey I was on that I was I was there for a reason. <laughs> I can be available, I can encourage, I can advocate, I can empower him, but I can't be him. And then I stopped making it about me and I started to say, okay, I can still do things that make me relax or help me relax and um, I can let go and I can let him feel what he needs to feel, which is the hardest part as a parent. You just don't want your children ever to be in pain. And with mental illness, they will be in pain at times and they will be sad and they'll be angry at you and it won't be about you. And that's the other piece, learning that it's really not about me. I'm going to feel your heat, but it's really not me that you're angry at. You're angry at what happened to you and that I'm the person in this world that loves you enough that you know I won't leave if you expel it at me within boundaries of safety. But yeah, that learning, it wasn't about me. That helped me a lot. I still cried when I had to drop him off at the hospital. I still cried when I had to leave the hospital and knew that he was there and when he didn't want to be there and when he changed his mind after he was admitted and I couldn't do anything about it. That was horribly sad, really sad, and I just wanted him home. One year he, he went in right before Christmas. He did get out in time for Christmas, but I remember saying, oh my goodness, if he's in there at Christmas time, I just don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you just, um, but you you get one day under your belt, and the next day comes, and you know, my son is alive. That is what... I get to sit here today and say, my son is alive. And he might not have been. You don't look too far down the road. I do look ahead and I'll sometimes say, you know what? It'll be whatever it needs to be. If he's with me, if he's living independently, whatever it is, I have a higher functioning, 
healthy human being for a son. And he has challenges. But I'm just going to hope that he can do the very most with his gifts. And you just don't get stuck there. I see him living with friends. I see him making music because he's talented. I see him doing a job that will allow him to make money, but not make him overly stressed. Certainly through my lifetime, my parenting life, dealing with an ex-husband with mental illness, I've certainly had really great therapy and more than one experience, more than one therapist that I've encountered that was along the way vital to helping me look at things objectively, helping me to put myself in the equation that I matter, um, that it's not all caregiving, <laughs> that there are some things that I can do for myself. You know, honestly, any time that I get to a place where my usual faith can't seem to help me put the number of questions into order so that I can really make a decision or figure it out. I think if every human being had an opportunity to really come to adulthood and have therapy for even six months to really evaluate who they are as a person and what they believe and what they want to leave behind them and what they want to bring with them into adulthood, it would be really incredibly meaningful. I mean, better than home ec. <laughs> Don't let your fear uh, rule you because, you know, if you're a parent and you're in a situation where there's mental illness in a loved one, you just want to be an advocate and you just continue to do what you're doing. Find the treatment modalities that are best. Find the services that are available. And don't give up. One of the things that my son said to me was the most meaningful thing I ever said was that, don't worry, I'm never going to give up on you. And if you know it's a long road, it's not a race, <laughs> it's, it's a marathon, it's long. If your child is young and struggling with it or in middle school, it's a long road. Pace yourself. There's going to be holes in the road. You're going to fall into some of them. You're going to really fall into despair at times, depending on their age and depending on, depending on what their diagnosis is, what they're struggling with. But just do believe that you're going to get to the other side of it. You're going to get, you're going to get your bearings. You're going to find the right program or the right treatment. And then when it's not a hundred percent all the time, always remind yourself, this is much better than no treatment. This is, we've learned things. My child's learned things. I've learned things. And doing the best you can. It's not as simple as a broken leg. It's not appendicitis. It's chronic. So if it's chronic mental illness you're dealing with, you're dealing with a long road and you're dealing with perhaps a lifetime of treatment. Just be kind to yourself and know that you care enough to, to be there. And that's really the key. Love yourself. Then you can love your kid. Thanks for listening to this episode of You're Not Alone. Your positive feedback is appreciated, so please like, comment, and share. 
To keep up with coming episodes, please follow us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Stay tuned for more to come.